I like it spooky. Hey everybody, welcome to the I Like It Spooky Horror Podcast. I'm Brian. I'm Jason. I'm Clint, and and I'm going to hijack the show here for a minute, and I'm going to take us on a little journey that I actually discovered leads to absolutely nowhere. But, you know, the journey is always more fun than the destination, so follow along. You guys ready to take this little journey with me? Let's do it. Okay. You know how a lot on these episodes we talk about how everything ties in together, right? No one can... Yes. Thank you for saying yes, because no one can (laughs) hear your head's nod. Like, "Mm -hmm." okay. The last episode, when we covered Tales from the Crypt... Uh, on Brian's episode, we talked about Timothy Stack, and he was in the, the show My Brother's Keeper, and he played with twins. And then we found out he was in another movie called My Brother's Keeper, where he played twins, right? Yes. Yes. All right, cool. Now, you guys are following along great. This is perfect. Trust me, this absolutely leads to nowhere. A few episodes back, I don't remember which one, we discussed real briefly um, Shock Treatment, the sequel to uh, Rocky Horror Picture Show, right? Yeah, I had bought their vinyl. I found one for me and one for Jason. Yeah, and, and not one for me, asshole. So anyway, I finally watched Shock Treatment. And I'm watching Shock Treatment. And in Shock Treatment, character of Brad Majors has a twin brother. And his name is Farley Flavors. And I'm sitting there watching it, and I'm looking at it, and I'm like, that's Timothy Stack. So Timothy Stack played twin brothers in Tales from the Crypt and the spinoff drama. And he also played twin brothers in uh shock treatment the sequel to uh help me out guys come on follow along. rocky horror picture show right thanks so anyway this is where the the whole journey leads to absolutely nowhere i was wrong and it's not timothy stack who plays twin brothers in shock treatment it is cliff de young who could be timothy stack's twin i don't know who that is though like i said this whole journey led to absolutely nowhere you don't know who timothy stack is or the other guy no the other guy well i He could be Timothy Stack's twin brother. Got it. All right. Everything's connected and everybody's somehow someone's twin or related. It's all six degrees of separation to Kevin Bacon. Thanks for playing along my stupid little game where I got a stupid prize. We're playing a stupid game. Let's just get to the news. Yeah, let's talk about the news. I kind of want to talk about uh, some of the new physical media releases that are coming out. There's some kind of big ones that I'm super interested in. I know Brian's kind of talked about the Terror Vision Video Club and Terror Terror Vision vinyl subscription with their soundtracks. Um, Well, they're going to have a video subscription service coming out. You will get 10 of their special edition Blu-ray titles. Some of them are going to include Linnea Quigley's Horror Workout. I've heard about that one, never seen it, so I'm kind of curious about it. Santa Claus, Attack of the Killer Refrigerator, which Clint and Brian wanted me to mention because talking about how they love that one. Absolutely love that movie, and I can't wait to see a good quality copy of it because you can't find it in the video stores. Everybody always steals it when one pops up, and so I had to watch this crappy one on YouTube. It was terrible. Um, Happy Hell Night's coming out. You also get uh, a t-shirt with it. You don't pay shipping for anything. It costs two twenty-five dollars one-time payment, but get a t-shirt. You get discounts on all their future merch coming out. Seems like a pretty good deal if you're into the physical media stuff. I'm sure Brian will be looking at it. I've been looking at it all weekend. <laughs> also, some of the other uh, December, since you know December 2022, that's when 
this will be coming out shortly before that. So uh, we're getting Black Christmas in 4K, which is one that we talked about. And uh, that film really grew on me with the second watching that we watched for this podcast. And now I'm kind of a fan of it. So I might want to pick that one up. Terrifier 2, which just came out on streaming services. We're getting a release on it. It's on Screenbox right now. Uh, so the physical media copy is coming out the end of December, December 27th, as well as Halloween Ends, also December 27th. Kind of excited for those two, of course. Also, keeping with the holiday season themes, uh, Silent Night, Deadly Night collection is coming out from Vestron on December 13th. And that's going to include parts three, four, and five, which honestly, never seen any of them. I've seen the first two, need to watch the other three. So that'll probably be a pickup. The Vestron ones aren't terribly expensive it doesn't seem like when they come out so maybe i'll be talking about that on a future why are we so poor but yeah that's all i got what do you guys think so happy hell night is a fantastic movie i'm sure a lot of people haven't heard of it or seen it <clears throat> that would i think it went direct to video and that was like the mid to late 90s i mean it you know terribly act it's got some stark imagery and it had a really good chance of making a, a franchise horror player gosh what were some of the other ones you mentioned Attack of the Killer Refrigerator, uh, Santa Claus, Claus like Cat Claus or something. I know the uh, you said something about Terrifier 2, <clears throat> and I was reading in the news where uh, right now, as of this recording, there's a horror convention going on in Philadelphia, Monster Mania. Damien, Damien Leone, is that how you say his name, the director, and uh, Art the Clown, <clears throat> they're all there. And there was a panel where they discuss the original ending to Terrifier 2. So uh, I'm going to check that out. We'll throw that up in the socials. So if you guys haven't seen it, you can check it out and see what's going on in the world of Terrifier. You had mentioned Halloween Ends also, and I've read, I came across something about Halloween Ends that showed what the special features were going to be. And I, I was actually kind of disappointed because I didn't see much on there about alternate endings or story exploration or anything like that. It just seemed like run-of-the-mill commentary and whatnot. Kind of bummed about that. Yeah, I should have mentioned with that also Best Buy is getting an exclusive uh, Steelbook release of Halloween Ends. So for any of the collectors out there that like that, that's where you want to go if you want an awesome Halloween Ends Steelbook. So you were talking about the TerrorVision subscription, Jason, and uh, I actually guested on a our friend's podcast, Attack of the Killer podcast, and we covered Killer Refrigerator because for years I've been bothering them about doing a Killer furniture episode and that was one of the movies we watched and we had to watch it on youtube and halfway through there's like 20 minutes where there's no sound on the video so i enjoyed the movie it's a grindhousey 80s new york setting movie and you know basket case kind of fun stuff like that so i'm excited for the television stuff because they put out a lot of stuff that's not so mainstream See, I'm out. So I'm excited for that. <laughs> I remember listening to that episode, and they were not happy with you at all. They were like, oh, and on this show, we have Brian, and Brian picked a bunch of movies for us to watch. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> One of the things I love to do, make people watch bad movies. So, Brian, what do you got in the news? Anything going on? Yeah, so our friends at uh, Dread Central... I don't know if they know if they're, they're our friends, but we know that they're our friends. Um, Stalker! The Wizard of Oz! It's a disturbing twist in Gail, Stay Out of Oz. So it looks like the premise of this movie is Dorothy Gale went to Oz as a child. She's still alive, came back, and lost her mind because she went to Oz. I mean, who would live to be an old lady or an old person after being seen all that and not go insane? <laughs> so is it going to pick up right from the original Wizard of Oz? 
when she comes back, oh, you were there and you were there. <laughs> Here, <laughs> put this jacket on. <laughs> it's right into the other. So maybe she's in the nursing home, but she's got a she's got a only living relative, Emily, who is now being called to settle unfinished business in this terrifying world of Oz. So there's a trailer. You can watch it. Clint said he's watched it. And he's like, did you watch it yet? And I was like, no. He's like, you need to watch it. It, it was a great trailer. It didn't it didn't expel too much of the movie. You know what I mean? It was it was one of those great trailers where it hooks you, but it doesn't tell you the whole story. But yeah, so basically, like uh, Dorothy is older now, like Brian said, in a retirement home or something. Um, and it looks like she's kind of like almost catatonic or maybe going through dementia, they think. And she has no idea that she has any relatives. And there is one last living relative. It's like her great granddaughter, I think. The great granddaughter didn't even know that she had a grandmother. And she goes, finds out, goes to visit her, and then that starts our journey. And it looks very dark. Moving on, I can't think of the word. I thought I was awake, but I guess not. It looks really good. Check it out. I think it'll be fun because I can be like, Tiffany, there's a new Wizard of Oz movie out. We should go see it. You love the Wizard of Oz. And then take her and she'll be like, what the fuck did you just make me watch? You got to stay. I paid for tickets. Yeah, I mean, you got to watch it. I'm guessing that Dorothy's probably lost her mind because of the field of poppies that they ran through right before the Emerald City. <laughs> That's a whole lot of drugs. Good old poppies. So what do you got, Clint? Anything exciting? Uh, I do. This is very exciting. And uh, I found this on bloodydisgusting.com. 28 months later is finally coming together. And Danny Boyle, who is the director of the original of this trilogy... Uh, 28 Days Later, teases a renewed interest. Uh, it's been 20 years, which when I read that, it blew my mind. Where did the time go? But it's been 20 years since the release of 28 Days Later, which, uh, of course, was followed by a sequel 28 weeks later in 2007. Another sequel 28 months later has been talked about multiple times over the years with all parties expressing interest, but the project is never coming to life. Uh, but maybe, just maybe, Danny Boyle is ready to bring the infected back to the screen. This is, um, I remember being in Hollywood when this came out, I had written my first screenplay and I went out there for a couple of weeks and was, uh, very green and trying to figure out how to sell this thing or what to do. And, um, through, a, I had a friend of a friend who knew someone who introduced me to someone else and, um, wound up hanging out with this guy named Robert Rundle for a couple of weeks who, uh, worked with Donald G. Jackson and worked with Michael no, I'm sorry, not Michael, Robert Zadar. He had directed a few movies, did some stuff with Stephen Jeffries. And so I was at his house and like this movie came out. It, it was really cool. And it had, um, you know, the original had a really indie feel to it. Danny Boyle just grabbed like a thousand Canon XSL1 cameras, which were revolutionary at the time in 2002, 2003, made this great little movie. Uh, I can't wait to see a continuation of this. So do you think it'll be 20 years later, or are they just going to kind of pick up at an earlier time? Because it would be kind of weird to see what happens in 20 years of zombies roaming the earth. Well, no, it's 28 months later. So yeah, yeah, 28 days later, when that movie was 28 days after the initial event, 28 weeks later was obviously 28 weeks later after the original event, and now this will be 28 months later. So 28 months is... Oh, so this, it, they have already announced it's going to be 28 months. I mean, I guess nothing's official, but I don't think they're going to do a 28 year. It's been 20 years since the release of 28 Days Later. Yeah, that's where I got stuck. I was wondering if they were just going to do like 20 years later to kind of see what's going on. And either way, I'm happy to get another zombie movie. I love those two. 
Well, shit, they're they're damn near they're damn near twenty years later in The Walking Dead, which, as of this recording, the last episode of the series ends tonight, and I cannot wait to watch it. This last season has been amazing, <clears throat> but yeah, that's uh, if you follow the timeline, I think we're at least a decade, if not more, because of the time jumps since the original zombie outbreak. I gather if 28 months later does well and is received well, in eight years we're going to get 28 years later. I mean, you'd be stupid not to. Zombies, man, they creep me out. Hey, like we always talk about, you follow the money. Obviously, the powers that be see that there is a potential to make some money in doing uh, another sequel in the 28 Days universe. So cash is king. I've got more than I did last week. Or last week. Well, yeah, more than I did last week, but more than I did last episode. How about you guys? Jason, what's going on with our money? I'm still trying to save it. As I mentioned before, we're in the holiday season, so I'll be spending a lot here soon on presents. So I'm trying not to spend as much on myself. I haven't really been looking at too much stuff, but I did get a pre-order in that I had ordered from Walmart. Um, I know I've talked crap about Funko Pops before, but I just got in the Halloween VHS cover edition Funko Pop with Michael Myers, and it has like the cover in it. It's in like a nice hard case. It was a pre-order on Walmart, and it's kind of funny. I, I pre-ordered Terrifier Steelbook from Walmart. So when I got a shipping notification, I'm like, oh, cool, my Terrifier shipping. And then I looked at it and I was like, oh, wait, the Terrifier didn't ship. So I had to like dig through it to find out what I was getting. But yep. So that's what I got in. That's really the only thing I've bought, like other than other collectible stuff, not horror stuff. That's it. So my pockets are staying kind of fat for now. And I'm thinking about going to another con next weekend, but we haven't fully decided yet. It's just a couple hour drive if we do. So maybe I'll have something exciting to report or maybe not next time. That's all I got. What about you guys? I'm kind of like you. I didn't get a lot either. I mean, I'm kind of, with the TerrorVision news dropping, I've been milling that over all weekend. I think last episode I talked about how I have a box sitting here that I hadn't even opened yet. So today I was like, eh, I'll open it and I'll show it off. Um, the one thing I did get, other than the box that I hadn't opened, was Alligator on 4K. Pre, I don't know that I pre-ordered it, but Amazon had it on sale and somebody on Facebook was like, it's on sale. It's like 10 bucks. Go pick it up. So this is our buddy Justin Beam at Reverend Entertainment did a lot of the special features for this. And I was lucky enough to see it at the drive-in a couple weeks ago. And it was fun. So I picked it up on 4K. I have like 20 Blu-rays over here I need to catalog and put on the shelf. And then the other thing that was in the box that I just opened is from Ship to Shore. Ship to Shore. Phone. Phone on company. I always thought it was phone company. I'm an idiot. So I got the Hellbender soundtrack, and this was a pre-order. Hellbender, they showed it on Joe Bob. It was a Shutter exclusive. It's a family. It's a husband, wife, and their daughter. They make movies. Then there was a fun movie. This is the limited edition colored vinyl, um, original motion picture soundtrack, Hellbender, by the Adams Family. I don't know. I kind of don't want to open it. Clint's rubbing off on me. I want to listen to it, but I don't want to open it. You can find it streaming somewhere. Don't open it. And I bought this because it come with this. It's a little flexi disc. You ever seen these before, Clint? No. So it's it's like a record, and you put it on top, and I don't know, you can buy weights, or you weight it down, I think. Jason's seen them before. 
They used to be like in magazines and you could rip it out and like play it on your record player. So it's just like, it's a decoration and it looks like a 45, It's but it's just a decoration. Oh, you play it. Yeah, it actually plays. Yeah. It's just a real thin piece of plastic with the grooves cut out of it. And Yeah, so it's got a 10 little pizzas and then the drive-in oath, the Hellbender version with the lyrics by Joe Bob Briggs. So the 10 little pizzas was a song they did at the end of the episode with uh, John Brandon and the Bigfoots, the family. And then they did the drive-in oath as the family. So I was like, ah, that's cool. A little throw in, I'll buy it. And the records, the music for the movie was really good. That's all I got. I'm saving my money for Black Friday. You ordered that Hellbender vinyl a while ago. I remember you talking about that back when we covered, I think it was Halloween and Halloween 2. Yeah, yep. Yeah, it's been a while. I mean, I've had it for a couple weeks. I just haven't opened it. Well, I'm not down with all you hip vinyl cats. I don't know all the terminology and all the stuff going on. Probably because I don't play any of my records because I don't open them. I just look at them. Sometimes I kind of like put them on a flat surface and spin them around, you know, in the case. Because it's fun to watch. I only got one thing and I, a couple because the last episode I forgot to mention with all the stuff that I had bought that I had uh, gone to McDonald's and I had gotten some of the uh, Halloween pails. I got the ghost and I got the witch. I remember when I got the witch, I kind of snuck off and did it by myself so I didn't have to buy stuff for the kids. <laughs> I'm like sitting in my truck like shame eating McDonald's, to, you know, just throw it all down my throat so there was no evidence, but. And then, of course, Boots comes down a couple days later. She goes, when did you get the witch bucket? And I'm like, uh. (laughs) I never got the pumpkin bucket. I I went back and they didn't have it. So if anybody's got the pumpkin bucket, they got a double. I will buy it off you. Or you can just, you know, it's the holiday season. Fill up your karma meter and just give me one. Why the hell not? That'd be pretty cool. (laughs) I didn't spend a whole lot this time. I had already posted this on my social media, but I picked up. And my like underlying unofficial theme for this episode is how everything is all tied together or we've already discussed parts of it. And uh, a few episodes back, we were talking about toys and we were talking about uh, Jason brought up Monster High and about how he had all these Monster High toys and had gotten rid of them. And I came across this beauty little box set, Monster High, and it's the Shining Twins. And this case is awesome because I'm showing the guys. So obviously, if you're listening, you can't see, but I'll post and then you open it up They're inside there. And it's like a little diorama and um, it's got the room key. What is it? 237 or whatever. Yeah, just a very cool piece. Great shape. I found this, a toy shop just north of me in Lansing, Michigan called Grave Danger. And um, they posted it from their personal collection a while ago. And we were discussing price. I was actually wheeling and dealing with them, Jason. You'd be proud of me. Good job. It, it fell flat off the bat, but they had just listed it. And then a while later, it hadn't moved. And so they got a hold of me and said, you know, how about this much? And then we just, communication just kind of fell apart. So, I don't know, last weekend, drove up to Lansing to go to the pet shop up there. I wanted to get some more fish for my horror-themed fish tanks. And uh, my oldest is with me. She drove because she's doing the driver's training thing, getting some hours in. I said, hey, I want to go to this Grave Danger toy shop. They're right around the corner. I've never been there. I walked in. It was still sitting there. I introduced myself. He remembered who I was. And uh, we made a cool cool deal that helped both of us out but what was also cool about that trip through ink mirrors i've been kind of branching off from screen printing and stuff and i've gone hog wild into this knockoff toy line these bootleg toys which has been a lot of fun i've got a whole bunch more in production um and he's like hey you got the blah blah this toy and the blah blah that toy you do this and that right and i'm like yeah and he goes i I want some of them here at my store and i'm like oh seriously we struck a deal and um i'm waiting on some 
some parts to come in to finish some of these up. And then some Ink Mirrors toys are going to be at Grave Danger Toy Shop in Lansing, Michigan. So I kind of feel it's just the beginning. I've only been doing them for a little bit. And uh, they, they seem to be taking off pretty well. And I'm having a ton of fun with them. So yeah. That's a great start. Well, and then uh, Ted from uh, our friends over there at Ted's Marvelous Custom Gumball Emporium. He has a friend who has a toy show up in, uh, I'm sorry, a toy shop up in Utica, Michigan. And uh, I might be able to get some there too. Yeah, you had sent me some to sell at the Cracktastic Plastic uh, show in uh, Tumwa, Iowa. And I sold all of your Susie's. So I don't have any of those left. I gifted our buddy Tad for his birthday a gift, a toy from your toy line. And uh, I'm getting a new co-worker who's a big 80s horror fan. And I gifted him one, part of his Christmas gift from everybody in the at work. And he's like, I've never seen this movie. And I was like, you don't know who Stooge is? And he's like, nope, I've never seen it. I was like, now you got to go watch it. I thought for sure he had seen it. Everybody's like, loves the toys. And I think I told you the story, Clint. We're at the toy show. And I have all your Ink Mare stuff out there. And this little kid walks up. Eh, he's maybe 10, 11. And he's looking at the table. And he's like, there's a tongue on the table. It's all blood. And he like runs away. <laughs> and then some other kids came around. A girl, maybe 14, 15, comes around. And she's looking at the table. And uh, there was a Christmas show going on too. So it'd be like, you'd see like kids come through with their parents and you know the dads dragged him into there she looks and she's looking and then she leaves and then i see her coming back and she's got like her brother's hand and she's like come look look at that look at that right there look at that and i was like i don't care how much money i make this weekend if i make nothing that was those two experiences were worth it like the kid like throwing up almost seeing it was freaking amazing we're just laughing i was next to brett royer and we're just busting up laughing just a fun experience it's a tagline i used to use for the haunted house and it was laugh cry scream or die it sounds like maybe that's carrying on with these toys cool story well i, I kind of hijacked the why are we poor segment and turned it into the let's advertise ink mirror toys segment <laughs> well i mean because even though i didn't spend a lot of money and it doesn't sound like really any of us spent a lot of money this week we're still poor because we're going to be blowing it somewhere down the line so i'm just trying to make some trying to pad my wallet speaking of making money let's take it to a sponsor Nothing is scarier than Christmas music because, well, that means Halloween is over. Except for maybe how the holidays can empty out your wallet. You're scared, ain't you? You should be. Inkmirrors.com is here to help you avoid the poorhouse with its Tis the Fucking Season sale. Not all, but most items are marked down throughout the holiday season and shipping is always free. So don't wind up in need of financial counseling like the Spooky Boys with their collecting habits. Head over to inkmirrors.com for those perfect, affordable gifts and stocking stuffers for the weirdo in your family that no one ever really knows what to get. Inkmirrors.com. That's I-N-K-M-A-R-E-S.com. Oh, one more thing. Don't forget on Christmas Eve to leave out money, whiskey, and horror action figures for Santa Cletus. Trust me. You see Santa Claus tonight? You better run for it. You better run for your life. So now that we've heard from our sponsor, this episode we're covering the 1996 supernatural slasher fantasy horror comedy classic. There you go. The Frighteners with Michael J. Fox. Come on. Take my hand, don't feel the reaper. 
You want to tell us why we're covering this movie, Clint? Yeah, it kind of goes along with what I was trying to put together at the beginning of the show, which blew up in a fiery wreck of you guys not really working with me that much. So we had discussed covering a different movie, and then like a day or so after, I saw that Michael J. Fox, who is the star of this movie, was the victim of internet death hoax, where a bunch of people were trying to say that he was dead and he really wasn't. To the point right, people I knew were sharing, like, rest in peace, Michael J. Fox, we love you, we'll miss you, stuff like that. And I'm like, this doesn't sound right. So I looked into it and found out it was a death hoax. And it just clicked because this movie is about him being perceived as a con artist, you know, in the world of death and the supernatural. And then I also... Again, my underlying unofficial theme of this episode is how everything's tied together. And this movie was produced by Robert Zemeckis. Of course, stars Michael J. Fox. Well, you know, Michael J. Fox directed episodes of Tales from the Crypt, which we covered the last episode. Robert Zemeckis was a producer on Tales from the Crypt, which we covered the last episode. So to me, it made sense. And I presented it to you guys. And Brian's like, hell, I don't care. And Jason's like, that's the dumbest idea I've ever heard to cover a movie. But let's do it. So here we are. I, I remember not being a big fan of this movie. I've seen it a couple times, and I just I wasn't super into it. I watched it again. I'll give my rating at the end, but I guess I hadn't paid attention that it was directed by Peter Jackson. So like sitting there watching it, and I'm like, why do I hate a Peter Jackson movie? You know. So it's like, I mean, I'm allowed to hate Peter Jackson movies if I want to, but I was like, oh man, I love Michael J. Fox. Back to the Future. One of my all-time greats. I, I love that trilogy so much. I watch it a lot. I'm the only one in my family that likes it. I wish my wife would get into it and we could watch it like every week. And then there were so many great actors in it. The B.I. guy. I was like, oh, he looks familiar. So I had to look him up. You mean Jeffrey Combs? Well, he looked he looked weird in the movie, though. Like how he was all like done up and stuff. And I kept getting like the, the Christopher Lloyd character from Roger Rabbit in my head. They were both wearing all black, but black leather. Like I don't know. It just I I don't know where my mind goes. But Michael J. Fox and Christopher Lloyd, of course. And so to to touch on the Jeffrey Combs part, this is what I wrote down, and I've seen this movie multiple times. Also, I, this is what I wrote in my notes: point blank, black and white. Jeffrey Combs is a fucking genius! Exclamation point. That's what I wrote in my notes. His character was superb. In this movie, he was fully invested in that character. It brought so much to the movie and it didn't even need to, but it did. It was fantastic. Yeah, he's by far my favorite character in the movie. I mean, it's it's hard to top Michael J. Fox. This is kind of when he was doing, you know, Doc Hollywood and this kind of stuff, I think, was this era. Kind of maybe even the pinnacle of his more serious stuff. I mean, they're all kind of comedy, but he had made maybe a leap after you know, Family Ties and Back to the Future and did some of this other stuff that, I mean, I feel like this is better for me than Back to the Future. Maybe not. I say this all the damn time just because I like something more doesn't mean it's better. But I enjoy this more than, you know, Back to the Future. Really? It's kind of like, I don't know, not really. This is a stupid comparison. I was going to say it's almost it's like a dark side of Back to the Future, which I mean, I guess what I mean by that is both of them are these like... um these big productions and they're full of whimsy and they, they, they're very similar except one's more mainstream and family orientated, I guess. And the other one's kind of dark humor, but yeah, I mean, um, obviously Michael J. Fox was in it. Jake Busey was in it. John Aston, who I mean, is the original Gomez Adams was in it. Jeffrey Combs, R. Lee Ermey, D. Wallace, Troy Evans, Chi McBride, the list goes on and on. It was just a, a who's who at the time of actors. 
So John Aston, when you're talking about him as the judge, I saw that character come in and I'm just sitting there trying to guess who it was. Cause I mean, it was kind of tough with all the makeup and I mean, the dude was a ghost. So, I mean, you didn't see him in like full form, but I kept getting huge Sid Haig vibes. Mm-hmm. I agree completely with you. I agree. Yeah. I was like, that's Sid Haig. And then I looked it up and I'm like, oh shit, <laughs> I'm completely wrong, but yeah, it's kind of cool that it's John Aston. Brian, do you have a synopsis for us just in case anybody who hasn't seen this movie might understand what the hell it is we're talking about? Yeah. The Frighteners tells the story of Frank Bannister, who is an architect who practices. He's a con artist. He goes into people's houses. He has these friends and that are ghosts that no one else can see, and he cons people out of their money. So he can see dead people. Um, his wife was murdered. He was in a car accident, and she was killed. So he's kind of, you know, fallen to the wayside where he's doing this con artist stuff. Well, the Grim Reaper comes to start to kill people in the town. So he sets out to, because he falls in love with a beautiful woman whose husband was murdered. He sets out to solve the mystery and stop the Grim Reaper from killing people. That's a loose synopsis. There's a lot of stuff in the movie that I forgot even happened. I was like, oh, shit, that happened? This movie is a lot like what Brian always talks about, an onion with a lot of layers. And this one, they all seem to really, really blend well together. But, I mean, so that synopsis kind of leaves a lot to the imagination. And actually, this film was not financially successful. It cost $30 billion to make. It made 5.5 mil opening weekend. And it says gross worldwide of 29.4. So, I mean, it was not financially successful. So I had read that, I mean, if you've seen the the poster to this movie, it doesn't help you understand anything. It's like a skull face pushing through a white background. Um, The marketing on this film fell flat. And Jackson said, Peter Jackson, who directed it, said that he learned a lesson about marketing on this film. He attributed a lackluster poster and um, a lackluster attention to the release of it that caused the film to be financially successful. Plus it also, I mean, it released July 19th, 1996. So it was competing with independence day with Will Smith, which was massive at the time, the summer Olympic games in Atlanta, Georgia were going on at the same time. So I think this great little movie just fell to the wayside with no clear explanation of what you were getting into and some stiff competition. Yeah. I like what you said about the poster though. I feel if this post or this movie deserved you guys have seen like the Haunted Mansion poster, like with Eddie Murphy? Yeah. Where it's kind of fun and whimsical and you know what you're kind of getting into. I think if it had that kind of poster, it would be fun. Just some of the ghosts on it, Michael J. Fox. Like you said, the great cast. Great cast. A lot of good people in it. And it's got Peter Jackson's fingerprints all over it. And actually, this film is what segued him into his, you know, now he's in the world of, you know, the big Hollywood big budget blockbusters because it was uh some deal that was made about him directing this film he was they gave him the the studio gave him king kong so he was able to you know uh direct the king kong remake in 2005 and it all stemmed from this movie and i know you like to talk about tying things together with john astin being in the movie in the mid 90s and then he goes on the end of the 90s early 2000s casts his son as samwise in lord of the rings I wondered if that had anything to do with it. Like if John Aston's like, oh, you know, my son, <laughs> he, he'll he be great for your new movie. Or, you know, just you, you never know what happens behind the scenes, but I could picture it. Oh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm sure it did. I'm sure it did. Uh, and speaking like you just said, of tying things together, the original intention for this film 
by Robert Zemeckis was that it was going to be a spinoff film from the television series, Tales from the Crypt. And then just after Jackson, and I forget the name of the guy who uh, wrote this with Peter Jackson, they, they sent Zemeckis, Robert Zemeckis, a three-page treatment. You know, I think it was three, three, five-page treatment. And uh, he Zemeckis loved it. And uh, the decision was made to make it its own entity. It wasn't very successful, but I know it does get a lot of love still. I've seen people talk about it like as one of their top horror movies or horror comedies or maybe not the top, but at least it gets talked about some. Well, the, the Frighteners is, in my opinion, we talk a lot about you know gateway horror for younger fans. I always view the Frighteners as the step up. You kind of bring them into the world. They have interest. And then it's like, okay, let's watch this because it's a little darker. It's a little more graphic, but it's still very whimsical. It's still very fantasy. So yeah, it's just kind of like a, a step along the road to watching, what the, what the hell does Brian watch? Greasy Strangler or whatever? Yeah. So. <laughs> Yeah, it's, it's just below Greasy Strangler. It's not quite there, but I was surprised when I saw that it was rated R. I was like, huh, I thought it would be like a PG-13 or something like that. And our standards today are obviously different than our standards in 1996. So maybe that had something to do with it. This movie may be PG-13 now if it was released. I don't know. Well, Peter Jackson was going for a PG-13 rating, and that's what he wanted. And uh, he learned that the studios were going to give it an R rating regardless. And I guess that's how they wanted the direction they wanted to take it and market it. And so he decided that's when he decided to blow up Milton Dammer's head towards the end instead of just having him <laughs> shot in the chest. Uh, Milton Dammer's was the character played by Jeffrey Combs. And at the end of the movie, his head just gets blown off with a shotgun. But even then, all of the gore was was whimsy. You know, it wasn't like scanners where there's a bunch of blood and chunks. It was all this kind of like translucent animated CG gore. When they blow his head off, like right away, you see like his ghost. The head is still there. He's like, oh, fuck. <laughs> My head just got blown off. <laughs> well, and this was, I don't want to say at the height, but it was the world of, of computer generated graphics had kind of just really come in and, and taken a stranglehold on the film industry. And I thought in 1996, even though you can watch it now and look back and go, oh, that, that CGI, that CGI, I thought it was, they did a really good job. None of it looked too cheesy. There was only one or two spots where it was, oh, that's, that's CGI for sure, you know. And, I thought the carpet ghost was kind of not well done, but I guess for the mid-90s it probably was. That's what I'm saying. If you if you look at the time, it was like, okay, it was top of its game, and I think that, that stuff is what, what gave it that whimsy. And then, so actually this movie, as far as I'm concerned, helped create the current haunted attraction industry because what happened in the haunted attraction industry is once CGI took hold, and I talked about this in a blog series I wrote years ago, but when the uh, CGI took hold of Hollywood, all these traditional practical effects guys were basically out of work. And so they went ahead and started applying their trade for haunted attractions. And, and it was around 96, 97 when the haunted attraction industry boomed to what it is that we know today. So thank you, Frighteners. Yeah, about the only thing that I didn't like was the Grim Reaper. It was fine, but I really enjoyed the other ghosts. Michael J. Fox's friends in the movie that were helping him be a con artist and steal people's money, get out of paying for a fence that he ran over because he wasn't paying attention. Yeah, that made you go back and think when they were talking about how his wife died, about him driving recklessly, and you kind of go back to that opening scene and you're like, holy shit, yeah, he's kind of like a little loose cannon. So maybe he did kill his wife. But then it's weird, like how much... You find out later that he did not. They put a lot of emphasis in that utility knife. 
when they're explaining like why he's a bad guy. But I was like, it was a car accident. I'm sure that's what like, why are you obsessed about the utility knife? Like, I'm sure she had blunt force trauma from the wreck itself. And well, I think they were focused on the utility knife because the number 13 was carved in her head. And he had bought seven blades that morning for his utility knife. <laughs> That's what was great, too, was that there was actually two or three kind of storylines, and they were all woven together so evenly and played off each other. So, I mean, um, you know, the movie is introduced. Like Brian said in the synopsis, Frank Bannister is kind of perceived around town as a con man. He can see ghosts, but no one else can. There's this strange thing going around town where people with perfectly good health and perfectly good hearts are just being... They're, they're dying from like this blunt force trauma to their hearts. But when they're, um, when they're autopsied, everything's clean as a whistle. So it's a mystery and people keep dying. And Frank Bannister just happens to be in the wrong place at the wrong time. And because of what we just talked about with his mystery around his wife's death and the car wreck and everything, and people just assume that maybe it's him. But you know what I thought was weird? Some of the things, a couple hangups in this movie were he would send in his team of ghosts to haunt people and they would grab the babies and fly them around the room or they would levitate what's her name on the bed or, you know, throw dishes, all these things. So these people actually experienced and, and saw ghostly activity, things moving on their own. And then Frank Bannister would show up and because someone wrote a bad article about him in the newspaper, they were like, never mind, you have to leave, you're a con artist. And I'm like, did you not just have your babies <laughs> fly around the room and thrown at you? Do you not all of a sudden believe what you saw? That part was kind of weird. Yeah, he would go to like funerals, cemetery, and hand out cards, business cards. He he was definitely conning people after a loved one had passed. Not them not knowing. We know he's a con artist because we can see the ghost, but they don't know that. So yeah, it's weird that they would consider him a con artist when all of the stuff that's happening to them is legit. Like your baby's flying around, your dishes are being slammed to the floor, the toilet seats going up and down, even though they didn't do that in the first house. Like, he's like, did you, did your toilet seat go up and down? They're like, no. And he gets back and he's talking to the ghost. He makes him sit in the trunk for some reason. He's like, you guys didn't even do the toilet seat thing. It's like, what the fuck? <laughs> Can't even find good ghosts anymore. <laughs> well, and I thought it was cool too, because he did a really good job of, of layering the, the spirit world and the human world and how they physically interacted together. You know, whether it's, uh, you know, knocking someone down or moving a newspaper or having a ride in the trunk, or sometimes they went through the door, sometimes they got stuck in the door. A lot of cool stuff like that. Sometimes it was cartoon logic where it was like, okay, you know, he didn't get hit by a car while he's a ghost this time, but how come this next time the car made physical contact and knocked him down? So there was a lot of cartoon logic that you just kind of had to dismiss, but I, I still thought they did a really good job of, of melding it all together. Yeah, there was some cartoony action when the semi runs him over. The one wheel like flattens his neck and then the one wheel flattens his head and it's taking the Grim Reaper away because it got stuck on the front of the truck. Some fun, nice little step up stuff if you're going to be bringing somebody into horror that's still kind of young. They may find humor in that. So the old lady with the daughter, what was her deal? She knew she the daughter was crazy did she know that she was part of all that and yes but keeping her locked up and i don't know it took it took a turn there i wasn't fully understanding like how did jake Busey come back how did his character we don't know for sure but towards the end towards the end of the movie when he's fighting frank bannister who had um had himself sedated to become a ghost they're fighting in the cemetery and it's revealed like frank bannister grabs 
Ermy Lee's spirit machine guns because he was the army ghost and he's blowing them away with the spirit bullets blows uh Jake Busey's Grim Reaper hood off and then he sees that it's um Jake Busey whoever his character name was I forget now he says I escaped from hell I found a way out so that was just their simple explanation of why he was there there was tons of other ghosts anyway I guess he could have found his way but and I like the fact that ghosts can kill ghosts in it. That was like the only way to die in that as a ghost. Because like his ghost friends, like the judge got cut in half after the very graphic mummy rape scene. <laughs> <laughs> you need both sides of the story. You didn't get a chance to talk to the mummy to see if it was consensual. Oh, uh, yeah, you're right. I'm sorry. I, you know, that's. And he said, he did say, I like when they just lay there. <laughs> I was watching that and I'm like, what the fuck? <laughs> this is... <laughs> it was, it was one of those cartoon logic moments. Like the, the cops are there at that point with the understanding of nothing supernatural, just that Frank Bannister is a bad guy. And then all of those, these supernatural things happen to them. The mummies getting walked at them and all this stuff. They just, they're like, oh, that's weird. Let's go back to arresting Frank Bannister. I'm like, <laughs> no one freaks out. I hope that uh, museum had good insurance because they shot the mummy and they shot all them petrified cats and they shot yeah. the whole damn place up and nobody got shot. Not one bullet, bullet hit anybody. That crossfire was crazy. <laughs> so early in the movie, we get Frank Bannister. He's being Frank Bannister. He's doing Frank Bannister stuff. His love interest in the movie her husband dies. He's one of the people that is killed by the Grim Reaper. So they're at dinner and he's, you know, this ghost is there and he's, tell her I love her. Tell her the flowers are for me. All this other stuff. That guy was a dick. So Frank Bannister is falling in love with this girl. She's a doctor. She goes to the house of, it's an older lady and she's keeping her daughter in the house. We come to find out that the daughter was Jake Busey's accomplice in the murder. She had got out like five years ago. She was in prison. And like you said, Jake Busey's character finds a way out of hell. So what's happening is he's acting like a Grim Reaper. He's dressed himself in this disguise to continue his killing spree. I think they got to 13 or 14. It, it was 12 when they were alive and killed in the mental hospital. And then Frank Bannister's wife was 13. And then it carried on from there. Yeah. So they're trying to break the record for most murders by a serial killer because they drop names throughout the movie. Starkweather and Gacy and Bundy. And at one point he says, if we do this one, we're at this and we pass so-and-so. And don't you think this should be held by an American? This record should be held by an American. I'm just like, what the fuck? This was one of those movies where the, the comedy that existed it wasn't that they were trying to tell a joke. It was just funny because of the situations, and the way it was presented. Jeffrey Combs at one point, the detective, the FBI agent, this is a prequel to the X-Files. <laughs> yeah. He's like, I got a lead vest on. You can't get my heart. You're like, what the fuck? He's in the room with uh, Frank Bannister and he like rips his shirt open and he's got a lead vest on. So I guess he feels like the Grim Reaper can't reach in and squeeze his heart and kill him. I'm just like, that's odd. When he kidnaps the girl, or he's a police officer, so I don't know that he's really, I don't know. And they're at, they go to the cemetery, and he like rips his shirt open. Are they tattoos or like brandings or? No, it was, it was like carvings. He's like, my body is a roadmap to pain. 
pentagrams and stuff. And, and the, yeah, and I'm just like, what the? There was so many turns in this movie that you're like, I forgot if I watch it again next week, I'd probably be forgetting again. And you're just like, this is insane. Like, what do we do? Like Peter Jackson movies up until this point. Well, and everything that happened, just like that scene you're talking about, like it, it doesn't necessarily have anything to do with the story served a purpose to move the story along because he decided to drive her to the cemetery so she couldn't bring Frank Bannister back after she sedated him so he could become a ghost. He gets out of the car and has that whole scene, and that allowed her to be in the car by herself so Frank Bannister as a ghost could show up and drive the car away. So everything served, everything moved the story along real well. This story, this movie did not have a pacing issue, period. It did not lag. It moved along and made made sense as long as you could ignore the cartoon logic here and there yeah and the, he's she's in the car and he's standing out in the cemetery and the car starts backing up and he's like i'm doing that i'm doing it i'm moving the car and he's like wait wait and he starts running after the car <laughs> it's a fun movie it's it's a cult classic for a reason i mean it wasn't successful like you said clint didn't make back what it cost to make but it's gone on with Peter Jackson's success. And I mean, as popular as Michael J. Fox is, great cast of characters and actors. It's gone on to become a cult classic and people love this movie. I mean, I posted on our socials that I was watching it and several people were like, oh, I love it. I love it. I love that movie. Such a great cast. A lot of praise for the movie. And I was reading it had Danny Elfman do the score. Absolutely. Yep. So I'm like, holy shit, it had all the intangibles to be something great, which people might think it is, you know, Peter Jackson, Danny Elfman, Robert Zemeckis, Michael J. Fox, D. Wallace, all the great actors that they had the support. It kind of makes me wonder, like the, the thing we've talked about, it's lacking is the poster. I wonder, I don't know. I can't remember back in the nineties. What was, there wasn't viral marketing. There wasn't social media. No, the internet was still news. So, yeah, it was literally seeing a poster and maybe what, catching a trailer on TV. And and then, yeah, honestly, if you would see that poster, it's like, eh, I don't know what this is. That'd be a hell of a poster to be getting signed, though, wouldn't it? Plain, it's got all this open space. You could fit Michael J. Fox and all those people on it. <laughs> then you'd be like, I fucking love this poster. This is the best poster ever. I thought it was an odd poster uh, for the movie because the movie was so layered. And I had a ton of Easter eggs in it. I don't know if you guys saw this stuff. And I didn't even see this stuff until I watched it again last night for the umpteenth time. But just dumb little stuff like in Frank Bannister's kitchen, he's sitting there eating cereal. And then behind him is a box of Booberry. I thought it was funny because it's a ghost movie. So he's got a box of Booberry right behind him. Or there's another shot. He's in his house somewhere. And just randomly up in the wall is a picture of Bella Lugosi as Dracula. You know, and I thought, oh, that's Peter Jackson dropping a little egg of what I've talked about before of his influences, you know. I can't remember the character's name right now, but when the, the health nut, the, the dickhead husband, when he dies and Frank Bannister first sees him as a ghost on the street and he takes him into the alleyway to explain to him what's happening to him, there's a bunch of Slayer posters in the alleyway on the wall, which I thought was cool. <laughs> tons tons of little, little uh, eggs like that. Something I thought was weird, though, was Zemeckis said, because uh, Peter Jackson wanted to shoot this in New Zealand, and Zemeckis said, fine, it can be shot in New Zealand as long as it has, from what I read, a Midwest town feel to it. And what's crazy is, is this does not have a Midwest. When I think Midwest, I think of where we live. You know, we live a couple states away, but we're in the Midwest. Cornfields and trees. 
this looks to me, it feels like an East Coast as an East Coast feel. You got the bay, you got all the hills and the cliffs, but then it actually had to have happened over on the West Coast and the logic of the movie because all of the cars have California license plates in the front. Yeah, it kind of felt like a Oregon or, you know, like Seattle, Washington, that kind of feel to it. Not Midwest at all. Hey, Clint, you got any uh, any cool uh, facts about the movie? Any trivia that you want to share with us? I am a nerd and you know that I do. There were some hangups in this movie that I, I didn't understand. Again, it was that cartoon logic, but even this was kind of like, wait a minute, this doesn't make sense. Towards the end of the movie, the epic showdown between Frank Bannister, D. Wallace, Jake Busey. Frank Bannister, who is a ghost again, at the, he killed a ghost and he's a human, ghost and he's a human. He keeps getting killed and being brought back and all this stuff. He is a ghost. It's towards the end of the movie. Um, they're in the middle hospital. Since he's a ghost again, he just got killed. Oh, she choked him out. That's right. She choked him out with a shotgun and he died. And so since that happened, the beam of light from heaven come down for him to jump into that tunnel and go up if he wanted to. Kind of like you learned that spirits had the choice to stay or take the express lane uh, highway to heaven there. I know it's supposed to be Stairway to Heaven, but it was a fast little beam, so I'm saying Highway to Heaven. He jumps right at D. Wallace, who is alive, grabs her, and like just rips her ghost out of her and sends her up to heaven. I thought that was kind of weird. Like, how did was he able to extract her spirit from her body? That whole scene, though, towards the end was great because they're in the mental asylum or the you know, the old the old mental hospital, and the way they showed you the, the what happened in the past because Frank could see ghosts. So he'd be walking in this old, decrepit, scary building, and then all of a sudden there'd be a flash, and he was reliving the events of the past when when uh, Jake Busey and, and D. Wallace first started their killing spree. That's how he found out where the church was, was overhearing people talking. It was like the, he was seeing the ghost of the building and the ghost of the traumatic event of the past. I loved how they, they presented that. Yeah, that was great editing, like him going around a corner, and all of a sudden the, the hospital's back alive again, and go around another corner and it's back to the way it was. That was, that was great. Good point. Another thing that I thought was really weird that didn't make any sense was when Frank Bannister was in jail and they let Lucy, her name finally hit me. Lucy was his love interest in the movie. They just, he's in there because they think he's a killer and they just let her go in the cell. You know how you like would let a lawyer come in or whatever. She's like, I want to see him. And they're like, okay, you sure you want to do this? I'll be right outside. Like this dude's like a supposed murderer and you're just letting someone involved in his case just hang out in his cell. I thought that was kind of cool. Well, that's small town Midwestern. That's how we do it down here, you know? Oh, yeah? That's how we do it where I'm from. We stay away from jail. I don't care if I knew you and you're in there. I'm not going to see you. Screw that. Okay, fun fact number 37. And that is uh, Rick Baker did the makeup effects for the judge. And from what I could, what, what, uh, from what I could find, it was specifically the judge. I don't think he did anything else. Which again, most most of the uh, special effects were all CGI in this. I had read that one of the reasons the uh, the budget was so high is because it took so long to shoot. Because even though this was, it was the early days of CGI. So I guess what they did was, is the actors who were ghosts, they had to act out their scenes twice. Basically, they acted out their scenes, and then they went through with a green sc- and did it again with a green screen mat which nowadays you just do that as once and then kind of add in what you want. It was fun, though. I'll keep talking about this movie. No one seems too excited or interested about this stuff, so I'll, just, I'll keep going on with it. But I thought it was silly how his uh, he built a basketball hoop or a basketball court on the side of a fucking cliff. You know, he pissed his wife off. Yeah, you imagine if you mess a shot. Yeah, down in the ocean it goes. Your fucking ball rolls all the way down, yeah. You better be a damn good shot. He had a lot of money. He probably had a case of basketballs up in his room or something. So I gathered Jason didn't like it. Clint and I enjoyed it. 
Well, yeah. I mean, when it's full of little details, like when he's in the, the freezer getting ready to be, you know, put to sleep to bring his ghost out and just little things like when he touched the metal, set himself down, he reacted because it was freezing in there. So it, it was hot and burned his skin, you know, layers of wonderfulness. Jason shaking his head like, shut up, Clint. That's stupid. <laughs> All right. Who wants to rate it? Go ahead, Jason. Rate this film. All right. I'll start it. Yeah, sure. I'm kind of torn. Like you just kind of shit on the movie, all the shit that was wrong with it. <laughs> kind of. I did. I was trying to like it. I mean, I've watched it now three times and there's a reason I watched it a second time. And I know this was the reason I watched it a third time. I would watch it again. It had some rewatchability. I want to give it a five, but I'm, I'm going to give it a six just for all the good stuff it did have with it. There were some scenes that made me laugh. You know, the Milton Dammers getting his head blown off. I laughed at that one. Because, I mean, it was just kind of funny. He had the ghost head there with him. Six out of ten zombie or ghost humping mummies. I'm reaching on it. I don't know. But, yeah, six out of ten. That was mid-range. I'm just giving it a little bit of the benefit of the doubt because of Peter Jackson, Michael J. Fox. I mean, you, you would sell me right there. I would definitely watch anything else again with those two. So if, but I mean, that is, so if this film didn't have the the names attached to it that he did or that it did, would you still enjoy it to the magnitude that you sort of kind of did? I have no idea. That would change the movie. I mean, I'm sure if somebody else put their fingers on it and just, I, I don't know, maybe I, w- I still would somewhat like it. That's a difficult question for a Sunday morning. <laughs> he looks disappointed in me. <laughs> well, it's kind of nice that you didn't enjoy this movie as much as maybe we didn't, because usually it's me disappointing you guys when I pick a movie. So it's kind of nice that like there was a movie pick that Jason didn't like. So I enjoyed this movie. The cast is great. The soundtrack's good. I like the story. I like that it's kind of that gateway, you know, in the more mainstream or more, I won't say mainstream, more um, serious horror movies. It's fun. And you could watch it probably 10 times and still not catch everything. I gave it a 9 out of 10 box cutter tattoos. I think they're tattoos. Are they tattoos? Carvings? What carvings? Like a Thanksgiving Day turkey. Carve that shit up. <laughs> what do you think, Clint? What'd you give it? If and when either of you guys watch this again, there is something I want you to watch. For. Like you say, you can watch it and find something new all the time. There's a scene towards the beginning of the movie, and this is dumb, but I want to know what it is. And I looked it up. I couldn't find anything. Lucy and Ray, her husband, who's alive still, are in her their bedroom, and she's watching the serial killer tape about the um, D. Wallace, the Patty character. And she's watching TV, and next to the TV, there's a VHS displayed there. And it's, it's, it's set up so you can see what it is, but it's blurred out enough where you can't see what it is. It's like Blood Omen or Blood something. I want to know what that is because I feel that Peter Jackson put that there for a, a reason. Like, hey, I like this movie, but I couldn't figure out. So if you guys watch it again, if anybody listening knows what that is or can figure it out or tell me where to research, let me know because I'm a weird fact nerd and I want to know <laughs> what that is. It's killing me. Besides that, I love this film. I've always loved this film. It's the perfect balance of of whimsy and you know it's got a dark side to it. It's got a big blockbuster feel to it, but it's still our own. You know what I mean? I went ahead with nine out of 10 blue blankets and that's a quick story. So at the end, 
she, you find out that because of the traumatic experience, experience now Lucy can see ghosts too. And then she, they're at like having lunch or whatever, a picnic lunch on the hillside, watching the house be tore down because now they're going to start their life together. And she picks up the blue picnic blanket and puts it over her head and acts like the Grim Reaper. And then the Blue Oyster Cult song comes on. Perfect. I had that exact blanket. I still, I think somewhere around here, had that exact blanket. I'm like, oh my God, I've got that blanket. I'm going to be the Grim Reaper too. So yeah, nine out of 10 blue blankets. Love this film. And Michael J. Fox is not dead. Just to let everybody know Michael J. Fox is still alive. In fact, he's alive enough to where I've heard rumors that they're thinking about doing a Back to the Future Part 4. Oh. And if he was dead, he could still star in Frighteners Part 2. Yeah, absolutely. When he when he was a ghost in this movie, he did... You know, his acting was just fine. All jokes aside, I hope we never I hope we never get a sequel to this. This is one of those one and done cut and dry movies. I think if they tried to yeah. to bleed this for some for some more money somehow, which they won't since it lost so much off its initial run. But I think it would ruin it. I really do. So So now that we've rated the movie, it's time for a question. And it sounds like we didn't get a question this episode. That's all right. Clint has a question for us. I have a question for you. I want to know what everybody's greatest fear is. Not what your favorite scary movie is. I want to know what your greatest fear is. What Down in your gut, you're legitimately scared to death of. Who wants to go first? I asked the question, so I can't. It's just not right. Uh, well, I hate heights. I'm scared of heights, so, but I can stay away from them. I don't have to go up high. I don't like spiders. I can go away from them. I have a ungodly fear of being eaten by a great white shark since I was a small child. I just don't go in the ocean. So I think my greatest fear is that losing a child, being a parent that's lost a child, like something happens bad to your kids. That's probably my greatest fear. I don't have any great fears. I'm scared of, I'm scared of heights. I'm scared of snakes. Are you talking like it overwhelmingly when I think about this <laughs> just fucks me up? Yeah, fear. With your deepest, darkest fear. His deepest, darkest fear is probably that his wife will leave and he won't be able to afford any of his stuff that he buys. She would never leave me. I thought it was that the Halloween series came to an end. <laughs> One thing I think about, too, when Brian mentioned the heights, I've always wanted to get up on the roof and put up Christmas lights and do stuff like that. But my fear is, like, once I climb up that ladder and I get on the roof, I would be fine because I would be doing my thing. But then when I go to get off the ladder and I would have to walk to the edge of the roof and do that maneuver to get onto the ladder, it's, it's something I think about because I'm thinking about putting up Christmas lights and being stuck on my roof and <laughs> being a little bitch <laughs> and get having to call call the fire department yeah exactly (laughs) (laughs) i got stuck on my roof one time when i first bought the house i live in now this is back in 2006 i get up on the roof twice a year to uh, blow out the gutters i got up there and i just had this really tall old rickety wooden ladder and it was just tall enough to get me up there and then when it came time to get down it wasn't that i was afraid it was that i could not position myself without it rocking back and forth so I, I wasn't like scared i just knew that if i didn't do this right i was gonna fucking fall 10 feet you know i called out the uh i called out the the ex-wife you know we were married at the time and i'm just like you might need to call the fire department and come get me down i don't <laughs> i finally figured it out but or i remember um i remember the guy I used to run the haunted house with man we used to get up in like the dead of night and blowing snow 
while we've been drinking and get on the roof and put up Christmas lights. Yeah, that was tons of fun. I've actually looked up YouTube videos on how to maneuver off of a roof onto a ladder. It's like bothered me that much. Like I've tried to, and like you're talking about the gutters, I need to clean out my gutters, but yeah, it's, and putting up lights and, but yeah, I, I can't do it. I don't know if that's an overwhelming fear, but yeah, like, yeah. What about you, Clint? What are you scared of, Clint? Man, I ain't scared of nothing, man. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. You know, one thing I had never thought of, Brian, you had said it, and I think maybe I didn't think of it because it just, to me, it goes without saying the loss of a child, you know, whether it be like I, I've mentioned before when I watched um, Taken with Liam Nielsen, that movie scared the living shit out of me. You know, his daughter was abducted and, and how do you as a normal person, not an ex-CIA agent, find her? That, that of course, is, is scary as hell, whether it's through some crazy external circumstance, you know, abduction or whatever, or if it's just the loss of a child a loss of life but my three greatest fears have always been and i share this with brian also sharks scared death sharks scared to death of drowning while being dragged to this murky depth dark bottom of the ocean while being eaten alive by a big scary monster that scares the shit out of me i've been in the ocean a couple times and each time all i was doing was looking for a shark scared the shit out of me i am scared of old women i'm scared of little old ladies and i think it's because i grew up in a nursing home uh, meaning my mom and my aunt continue. Well, yeah, mom still does. She retired, but now she's back part-time. But uh, they always worked at nursing homes, so I was always around that. Um, so, yeah, old women scare the shit out of me. And probably the biggest one is failure, scared to death of failure. And that's why I just keep throwing shit at the wall and keep trying different things because I cannot imagine living a life of just giving up and not trying something or not following through on something or, or focusing on something. And then 10 years, 20 years, knowing that I didn't give it my all failure is a big one. Spooky shit. So you enjoyed barbarian. Have you seen that yet? I did. I did. I liked that movie a lot. You liked it. Mm -hmm. You wanted to be Justin long when that old, uh, lady's trying to feed him on her titty. Oh, you wanted to be that character. <laughs> no, <laughs> Not at all. You know, and I never I never even realized it, but back when I did the haunted house, we made um I got this this rocking back and forth grandma prop from distortions and we kind of made grandma like the center of the backstory. She was like the patriarch, not patri matriarch of the family, whatever. I don't I got in this conversation with someone one night and it hit me. I was like, Oh my god, I'm trying to make the scariest thing ever for people to experience and it's my own fear that I'm trying to project to them. I'm scared of old women. Are you scared of your old lady? From time to time, but she's not, I'm not scared of her as far as she's an old woman. I'm scared of her because she's the old lady and she knows how to kill me. She does. 37 different ways that she, that she lets me know about. Well, you know what you don't have to be scared of? Our podcast network, the PFPN. So let's hear from them. You're listening to the Prescribed Films Podcast Network, home to hundreds of hours of free podcast entertainment. The shows on this network all have a common goal, providing you with the best discussions about movies and other forms of entertainment media. The PFPN hopes to fill your ear holes with audio joy. Visit our website with links to all the other amazing shows at www.thepfpn.com. Thanks for listening. So now that we've heard from our podcast network, the PFPN, what do we got going on? Jason, 
anything oh shit tons and tons of nothing going on it's <laughs> thanksgiving's coming so you know we'll have to get our episode of what's our thanksgiving movie we did last year blood rage I have to watch some thanksgiving movies getting ready for the you know that when this airs it'll be after thanksgiving oh yeah it will be the sunday after thanksgiving nope nothing going on just gonna watch my christmas scary movies christmas not scary movies hang out with the family yeah literally nothing on it nothing i can't i can think of i'm sure brian will remind me but even shit that i've said i'm going to with brian i might not go to who knows <laughs> it's pretty lame i don't think that you've been to anything other than joe bob that you said you were going to go to it's two things so get out of here nope nothing for me what about you guys well, I'm going to buy Jason some flashcards so he can learn how to count because it's been several more than two things. <laughs> I'm talking about recent. That'll be his Thanksgiving gift. I don't think I really have anything going on either. In between this recording and when it comes out, it'll be Black Friday. It'll be Thanksgiving. I'll be going to a movie at the Orpheum Theater. But after that, I mean, I'm just looking forward to it sounds like there's some legit horror Christmas stuff coming out this year. Several movies coming out that look like they're going to be a lot of fun. Um, the guy from Stranger Things is in one where he's like a, a Santa assassin. And then there was another one that dropped the other day, too, that I was interested in. I can't remember the name of it. I don't know if you guys um, seen anything. It looked like there was another killer Santa movie coming out this year. You guys seen anything about that? No, although I did hear that a remake or reboot of Silent Night, Deadly Night was supposed to come out, but all I saw was the headline and that it was picked up, the rights of the movie was picked up by a studio down in Louisiana. I forget the name of the studio right now, but I haven't heard anything else, so I don't know if that was something that was supposed to happen and now it's dead in the water. Or Is it this one, Christmas, Bloody Christmas? Is this maybe already out? Reviews of robotic Santa slasher trailer. Now a trailer. I don't know. Jason and I don't watch all that weird shit you do, weirdo. <laughs> yeah, it says, Christmas Bloody Christmas is a 2022 American horror film about a female record store owner battling against a rampaging robotic Santa Claus. That's got to be a period time piece, because how many record stores do you know of that exist still? Not many. I mean, there's the vintage shops and stuff, but... Oh, they're around, though. I'll check it out. We've got three here. Three record stores, at least. But, I mean, are they are they, like, resale... No, brand new records. Oh, they have some resale stuff. I don't know. Well, like I said earlier, man, I'm not down with all you hip vinyl cats. I got to I gotta feel the groove and find out what's happening around town here. Yeah, there's one in Burlington I go to that their f first floor is mostly new stuff. And then you go upstairs and they have like 100,000 resales. But yeah, they just celebrated their 50th anniversary Weird Heralds in Burlington. What about you, Clint? You got anything going on? Kind of the same old stuff I mentioned before. All but 100% done mapping out my 2023 convention schedule. And once I get that 1,000% uh, locked in, then I'm going to do something different this year. I'm going to print all my shirts over the next couple months. That way, come convention season, it seemed like last year I would, I would print for a show and then kind of fill up the stock, and I was just always doing shirts, which I like to do, but it got to the point where it was just a nonstop job. So this year, like I say, over the winter months, I had mentioned there's a writing project I want to work on. Um, I've got my imagination has run wild with these knockoff toys, and so I've got a whole bunch lined up, excuse me, um, to design and put into production. And um, yeah, I'm going to sit down and print out a gajillion t-shirts to get me through the whole convention season next year that plus life stuff extra work kids 
plays, Christmas lights, shoveling snow, you know, all that crap's coming. All that crap's coming. That's about it for me. So you'll make a bunch of t-shirts, and then if something like goes crazy and sells a bunch, then you'll run some extras, I'm sure. Is that how you're planning on doing it? Yeah, it won't be like, I'm going to run for 2023, and once they're gone, that's it. No, I mean, there's um, I'm going to be eliminating a lot of the stock that I currently have that have kind of been hit or miss. You know, there's some interest, but they're not huge sellers. Um, in fact, I'm as of this recording, I'm hoping later today I'm going to be launching the the inkmirrors.com. I call it tis the fucking season holiday sale. <laughs> and uh, we're on the slashing a bunch of prices just to reduce inventory, make room for more. But some of the designs that were my most popular sellers, I'll always restock. And then so I've got right now roughly about nine or ten new designs that I want to do to introduce into the lineup and, and see how they go. But again, I'm not just going to print my normal kind of what I stock for a show. I'm going to go ahead and run them for the whole damn year. And yeah, if something else pops up along the year or something needs to be restocked, I'll do it. So uh, when do you think is going to be your first show of next year? Talking ahead a little bit. So I can't tell you which show for sure yet because there's two or three that are um, on a list, but my first show will be in March. Basically what I did this year was I'm choosing one big three day show per month from March through November. And then there's a couple one day shows around me where I've been really successful or had a really good time at that I will revisit. But for the most part, like I say, it's just going to be one show a month from March through November. You lucky bastard. (laughs) I kind of feel lucky that I got myself to a point where I'm comfortable doing that because last year I felt like I needed to do any and everything available to me. I almost teetered on burnout. You know what I mean? I enjoy doing this stuff, but when you're doing two or three shows a month, you know, every weekend you're driving here, driving there, it's like, man, this is starting to be a drag, you know? But I, I think a lot of it too is the um, the rekindling the passion for goofing around with, with these uh, these toys. Uh, it's, it's, it's a lot of fucking fun. It's a lot of fucking fun. That's what I got going on. Well, now that we know what Clint has going on and what I have going on and what Jason doesn't have going on, <laughs> And we've rated our movie. Don't forget to check us out on our socials. I like it. Spooky Horror Podcast on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube. And I think that's it. That's all we got. Don't forget to check out Ink Mares. They're having a sale. And we'll talk to you next time. Bye-bye. I was waiting for Jason to say bye, and he didn't. And then I said, I thought, instead of doing my <laughs> laugh, it's like right after Thanksgiving. So I'm going to... It's a turkey. You jive, turkey! Hey, what's wrong with you, man? Show some fucking respect for the dead, will ya?